In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution is taking Georgia political coverage to the next level. Now, Georgia's smartest political team is adding Hall of Fame political broadcaster Bill Nygut. I am beyond thrilled to be joining the remarkable political team at the AJC. And with the year that we have unfolding in politics, it's going to be an exciting ride. Read Bill Nygut's expert insight on AJC.com and listen to the Politically Georgia podcast with me, Greg Bluestein, And me, Patricia Murphy. And me, Tia Mitchell. Hear new episodes every weekday. Only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Hey everybody, this is Doug Robertson of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution with another edition of the Southern Fried Soccer Podcast. It is August the 3rd and Atlanta United has defeated the Los Angeles Galaxy 3-0 here at Mercedes-Benz Stadium. Uh, The goals were scored, uh, (laughs) two own goals, by two LA Galaxy defenders Romney and Gonzalez in the 23rd and 43rd minutes. And then Joseph Martinez with a penalty in the 72nd minute after Emerson Hyman was taken down in the box. That was Joseph's ninth consecutive league game with a goal, tying a record uh, that he set last year and Diego Valeri set, I think, the year before. The year before. Um, It was also his 68th goal in three consecutive seasons, which ties a record held by the New York Red Bulls' Bradley Wright Phillips. I think that Joseph is going to break it uh, by the end of the season. Um, I'm joined, as always, by Jason Longshore of 92.9 FM and SoccerDownHere.net. Before I get Jason's thoughts, I just want to remind you that you can find me on Twitter at Doug Robertson AJC and on Facebook at Atlanta United News Now. And I also need to mention that Atlanta United here at Mercedes-Benz set a MLS a regular season attendance record with more than 72,000 uh, in attendance. I don't have the number here in front of me. I should have written it down. But anyway, Jason, what did you make of today's performance? It's a good one. Um, it was a good match. Uh, I thought it was a very entertaining match. Uh, I'm going to give uh, Guillermo Barros Escaloto a lot of credit for coming in and not just putting defenders behind the ball and sitting back and defending. I don't think he, he has the team to do it, but they tried to play, and they tried to find ways to play, and they... Had some good moments in the second half especially. There was about a 10-minute span where I thought they were really dangerous as they were trying to get Antuna loose. But our man of the match on the radio broadcast was Miles Robinson, and I think he shut down most of those dangerous opportunities. He was excellent passing, splitting lines multiple times. He won plays in the area when he had to. He outran Antuna. He did everything you want from a center back and more. Miles was just incredible today. It might have been his best performance of the season. Yeah, I gave him a very high mark in my player ratings, which I just tweeted out. I hope you'll read. I only gave out 110. I'll let you read it to figure out who got the 10. That's a tease. Um, Yeah, Miles was a monster. Um, Frank DeBoer uh, singled all the center backs out uh, for their good one-on-one defending. 
he said this formation, when you press this high, it ends up leaving a lot of one-on-one battles all across the field. And Atlanta United won most of those tonight. It felt to me a lot like games the previous two years. Um, it was real loose uh, on defense. I know they got the, the – Brad Guzan got his league-leading 11th shutout, but it was still just a lot of moments where you're going, oh, my gosh, the Galaxy could score. Uh, if one little thing happens here, they're going to score, which a lot of times was the case the previous two years. We've mentioned this on the podcast before, how so many teams would say we had our chances, we just couldn't take advantage of them. You know, teams were taking advantage of them this season against Atlanta United, but at least today the Galaxy couldn't, and Atlanta United did put L.A. to the sword. The own goals were the result of a Pitti Martinez cross-slash-shot uh, Pity had a fantastic game today. Uh, the other was a Justin Miram definite cross. Um, that Joseph got, Martinez was right there. Yeah, Joseph Martinez was applying the pressure. Um, the defender had to try to get a foot on it, and it just happened to go into the goal. Um, you know, there was a lot of drama this week. Uh, from Monday with Leandro Gonzalez-Perez's comments, Leandro didn't really retract them but clarified them on Tuesday. You had Frank... In his first availability, talking about them on Friday, saying top clubs don't do this, this doesn't happen. And then Breck Shea posting a photo on Instagram and Twitter about his totally destroyed knee, which is a reference to a quote by Frank DeBoer, actually only being a run-of-the-mill uh, ACL. Yeah, ACL injury, which is fantastic news for Breck. Yeah. And... I thought it was a little odd that Breck would throw that back at Frank. I'm sure Frank was only using information that he had been given uh, at the time. Yeah, because that was immediately after the game before he was checked out. Yeah, no, no, this this was actually a couple of days. Oh, okay, later. I'm sorry. This My was fault. a couple of days, couple of days later, uh, after we thought that they had probably gotten a diagnosis. But anyway, so there was some drama this week, and I asked Frank, did the drama kind of galvanize the team? Is this something that they needed just to kind of maybe regain their focus? And he said, well, I think it was more Breck Shea's injury, which forced them to go to the 3-5-2, which apparently, I don't know why they haven't done this earlier. We've talked about this ad nauseum. But it's given everybody more freedom, everyone more confidence. They like being able to be aggressive, and it's helped. And he said, and also, sometimes you do need something that's going to give you a focus for 90 minutes, and maybe... All this stuff this week was it. Um, maybe, th- this is my theory now, maybe actually getting onto the field and not having to talk about this kind of stuff and worry about this kind of stuff helped the team. And they played freer. Um, and now they're moving forward. Yeah, the thing I'll keep coming back to, and, and I thought Leandro made this clear both on Monday and Tuesday. Um, I think Barco made it clear in his comments, which were pretty benign. I think yeah, Brad Barco's Gazan, comments were really benign. Yeah, I think what Brad Gazan said, I think what Julian Gressel said, I think what everybody said is at the end of the day, what it always comes back to is everyone wants to win. And, you know, you can have differences of opinion in terms of philosophy and approach and all that. That's that's soccer. That's going to happen. I think Frank is, is 100% correct in that usually it doesn't get out in the way that it does in this scenario, but the conversations happen on a daily basis in other countries, and and I think you're used to that. But here, it's not very common, and I know with, you know, our local sports media and from our conversations at 92.9 The Game, like, you don't see these types of conversations around the Falcons or or around the Hawks because 
American athletes generally don't give you anything like this. They don't want to share these types of comments. It's been fascinating to me how it's all played out. But what I kept coming back to was how everybody's comments have finished. It's, we want to win. We want to defend our title. It's all about the team. And I thought that showed today. And I think it showed previous to this. I thought it showed in the second half last week in Los Angeles. Good second half. You fought hard. I, I think this is a team that has a lot of personality to it and a lot of personalities in it. And I think it's a team that is still in a lot of ways coming together because you've added Justin Merriman midstream. You've added Emerson Hindman. I think they've kind of altered the dynamic a little bit. You've brought Barco back into the group now. You haven't had Tito in the group as much as of late. It's it's been an interesting season, but as we sit right here now, you're in first place in the Eastern Conference. And you might not be by the end of the weekend, but you are at the moment. And that's what has shocked me the most about all of it is that you've had all this noise and all this talk and all this is a disaster and all these things. And you're sitting in first place and you're looking like a team tonight, maybe more than any other time outside of the Kansas city win. You're looking like a team that can repeat as MLS cup champions. Yeah. It's a, it's a weird thing. Um, you know, when you win a title, Everyone says, well, it's harder to win the second title. And that's true for a whole lot Definitely of reasons. Definitely true. In this league, but for sure. But a lot of times, I think, that it's hard to find that focus again. You know that you want to do it because you're a professional athlete. But wanting to do it and then finding that motivation, finding that spark, can be difficult. And, you know, Atlanta got bounced out of the Champions League early. And so that motivation was kind of gone. And then the, the injuries just start piling up. And you can sit there and keep saying, we want to do this, we want to do this, we want to do this. But if you don't have the tools and you don't have the pieces and, you know, you're still learning a new manager and still new manager still learning you, you've got p- new faces coming in that are being thrown into the starting lineup immediately, it's just really, really hard. I mean, last year at Lenny Night, it had a ton of injuries, but they didn't have a lot of injuries at the, I guess what you call the – the skill position slots or the DP slots, so to speak. You always had Miguel. Mm-hmm. You always had Joseph. You always had Parkhurst. You always had Leandro. You always had your goalkeeper. You always had Nagby. When Remedi came in, you always had Remedi or Jeff. This year, that it's a lot different. You haven't had Barco. You haven't had Tito. You haven't had Bello, your first choice fullback. Yeah. Still hasn't played. Yeah. You don't have Kratz, that backup off the bench that can come in and provide you solid minutes. Not an impact player, but one of those players that a team has got to have. Now, you get Barco back, and he was just turning guys around left and right. Ooh, he was today. Good he looked today. really, really good. He was limping a little bit in the locker room after the game. Oh, he took a we'll beating again. Yeah. A lot of kicks after, after yeah. passes were delivered. It's something that is very frustrating. And Jeff had just some great insight on what Barco means to pity in that earlier this year, Jeff was saying when they were playing kind of a five-man back line and that 3-4-3 three, three kind of thing, when Pity would look up, he only had Joseph. When he got the ball, he would only have Joseph. Now, when he looks up, he's got Barco and Joseph. He's got guys that he can play off of. And when Barco is on the left or the right and Pity is on the other side, he's got some space now especially when you got Gressel coming up the, the wing or Miram on the other side because the defense has to say, if we go wide, this is me now talking, not Jeff, if we go wide to try to stop Miram or Julian or Pereira, if he's out there, 
you've got Barco and Pitti sitting underneath and Joseph on top of them. If we spread too wide, they're going to find the seam and get the ball to those guys. They're more than skilled enough to take advantage of that space. Pitti was finding some of that space tonight, and he was making good passes. He still had some iffy moments, but Frank said it was a huge step for him tonight and that he can be even better. I assume he's talking about just tidying up some of the little passes that he was making. His defense was still a little iffy, but those were small potatoes in the big, big picture. Um, yeah, I said on the, the full-time report about the defense, I thought he, he, he worked harder on defense today. Yeah. I don't. For me, that's a cherry on top moment. For Pitti, I'm, I'm judging him on what he does in the attack. And he was good today. He wasn't – I don't know if it was his best overall performance. He, he, he played the 90. Um, I think he's had some maybe higher highs in, in moments in other, yeah, other games. that's fair. But, he was good today, and, and he, he put in a good, solid, hard shift. Um, I agree with, with what you were saying that Jeff was getting at. And honestly, from the 3-4-3 to this, it's not as dramatic of a difference as you think because instead of Barco and, and Pitti up in the same line with Joseph, they're just dropping in behind. It, it almost plays, instead of a, a 3-5-2, it's almost like a 3-4-2-1 in some ways. Because those two are comfortable sitting underneath and then flaring out. And where Barco, and I think his maturity that we're starting to see, Pitti's going to make the first move. We know where Joseph's going to be generally. Pitti's going to make the first movement. He's going to make a decision to go left or right of Joseph. Then Barco has to read that and play either the other channel and, and spread the field or create an overload and go with Pitti. And I thought he made those decisions really well tonight. And for somebody who you can tell he hasn't played a lot with this group lately, there were still some like miscommunication mm-hmm. thing, things like that. It was starting to come together really nicely. And Barco, for all the talk about him last year and all the comments that were made and, and the average MLS winger comment that still blows my mind, he could be the most impactful player down the stretch in this league. It was good to see him shooting tonight also because when I was looking at his stats uh, Friday when I was writing a story, he had already tied the number of goals that he scored last year, but he would also almost already surpassed the number of shots on goal. And he's missed more than half the season, but he's already almost done that because last year he just wouldn't shoot, and that was the thing that was that, driving me crazy. That's another element of maturing because, yeah. I mean – And confidence. Yeah, I mean – I think even more than anything, though, it's a role in the team, too, because at Independiente, he wasn't a goal scorer. He didn't score a lot. He didn't shoot a lot. Here last year, he always deferred to others. He was always looking to set up someone else, and it's something he's talked about this season. I think now he's more comfortable, and I think he's been given that initiative from guys like Joseph and leaders in this team to say, no, if it's for you, you take it. You play. Go for the goal. You don't have to always look for me or look for pity. That I think Barco's growing up, and we're seeing yeah. it. And we saw it with the U-20s with Argentina. Yeah, he was the best player at the under-20 World Easily. Cup. And yeah. he took on a leadership role to the point that you're starting to hear whispers in Argentina about when's his senior national team debut coming. Going back to that 3-4-3 for a second. Not use elevators. Oh, sorry. We just got interrupted by something <laughs> from the stadium. Um this is what I think was going on with the 3-4-3 earlier this year and it was kind of affecting Atlanta United through the first games. I think all along... I think Frank was so focused on trying to tighten up the defense yes. 
because he said, you know, they gave up a lot of two, goals that were just too easy last year, and and Almiron bailed them out a lot. They didn't have Almiron to bail them out this year, so he was really focused on the defense. And I think that his message to the players and the way they received it and applied it in the game was a very big overcorrection. And you know, Frank wanted them to play as a team on defense. That doesn't mean he wanted to give up offense. He kept right. talking about, I want ball possession, but I want shots out of the ball possession. And now you're starting to see, with the switch to the three-five-two, which, again, I cannot explain why this didn't happen from the very first game because I think that was the best formation. But anyway, um, now now you're seeing the, the players kind of understanding and Frank understanding how to communicate with the players. This is what we need to do. Um, and so you're seeing the results now. Uh, they have now scored 13 goals in their past four games, I think it is. Um, and their average now for the past 10 games is going to increase to a, probably, I think, more than two and a half goals per game, which should be enough to win you a lot of games. So uh, now let's switch real quick uh, to Tuesday's U.S. Open Cup at Orlando. Orlando fielded a fairly strong lineup. I think the only really stud they didn't include tonight was uh, Nani. In the 18, but didn't start. Uh, yeah, in the 18 against Dallas. They were winning that game at halftime one to nothing. Mm-hmm. I think this could be James O'Connor's last stand uh, if they don't beat Atlanta United on Tuesday in the Open Cup because they, again, look out of the playoff picture. They could maybe get back into it tonight if they win because Toronto lost. Yeah, and if New England loses to LAFC, and they were losing when we tape this, they could make up some ground. They, they, there could be a little bit of light, but... If they end up dropping tonight and they lose to Atlanta United in the U.S. Open Cup, you could see yet another reboot in Orlando. It sounded like the chatter, and, and you were down there, and some of the, the comments coming out of Orlando were that, yeah, it, it feels like that seat's getting warm. I think if he lost both, that, that might have been it, or it might have been it at the end of the season. If he wins tonight and they're still alive in the playoff race, I don't think you see a change if Tuesday doesn't go their way. But... For, for me, I would think that all their eggs are in Tuesday's basket. Yeah. Which makes why they fielded this particular lineup tonight a l- interesting. Yeah. Uh, but it is, you know, they got three days. And coaches typically say you get three days, Sunday, Monday, and most of Tuesday. You'll be okay. They are at home. Uh, they do expect it to be a sold-out stadium. There's not going to be a whole lot of Atlanta United supporters in the stadium. Um, but Atlanta United got the benefit of – they got to take Barco off early. Hyman came in as a sub. Rometty came in as a sub. Pereira came in as a sub. Uh, Pitti didn't have to – I mean, Pitti worked, but he didn't have to run a whole lot tonight. Second half, he was able to relax yeah. a little Gressel more. was able to relax a pretty good bit tonight. So Atlanta United is going to be fresh, and I think you're probably going to see a super-duper strong uh, starting 11 for Atlanta United. Viaba was not healthy enough to play tonight, according to Frank i got to think he's going to be ready to come off the bench on Tuesday, should he be needed. Um, I think it likely Orlando is going to have more motivation because they still haven't won a trophy. More desperation, for sure. Uh, yeah, whereas Atlanta United has. I still think Atlanta United still has the most talent of any team in Major League Soccer, including LAFC, top to bottom. I agree. Um, but they got to put it together, and Tuesday would be the next step in doing so. Jason, what do you have coming up? 
So we've got Overreaction Monday on the Soccer Down Here app and SoccerDownHere.net and Spreaker Monday at 9 a.m. Um, Tuesday we will be hosting a Soccer Down Here viewing party over at the Brewhouse Cafe, a little five points. And since we're not able to do local radio coverage, uh, thanks to the rights being all sold and packaged all together to uh, ESPN, we're doing a pre- and post-game show with soccer down here from the brew house live, uh, just like we would on radio, but we're doing it on our SDH app and soccerdownhere.net and Spreaker. And then next weekend, we'll be doing some stuff around the whole Manchester City visit to town and trophies being in town, and they're doing a really cool event with soccer in the streets at Station Soccer in the West End. So soccer down here will be covering that and be part of that as well. That's going to be about the most bitter I think you'll ever hear, Jason. When he talks about the rights going to ESPN Plus for the US Open Cup. We'd love uh, to call these games. I love this tournament. I've already posted my game story from tonight, my player ratings from tonight. I'll obviously have this podcast up or you wouldn't be listening to it. Um, I'm going to have a sidebar on how having Barco and Pitti in the starting lineup for just the fourth time in a league game this season change things. I'll have a sidebar on Joseph Martinez. I'll have a sidebar on Miles Robinson. I'll probably have something on the standings Monday morning, uh, how things shake out um, after the weekend's games. And I might have something on how the dr- drama of the past week kind of galvanized the team. I got it. <laughs> but I need to listen to the tape. As always, you can find me on Twitter at Doug Robertson AJC, on Facebook at Atlanta United News Now. I hope you'll consider subscribing to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. We've recently made hires uh, for beat writers for the Atlanta Hawks, and we brought Chip Towers back uh, to cover the University of Georgia. Nobody covers it better than him. Um, Really excited about the future of our sports section under our uh, editor, both Ray Cox, and and now who retired, and now Chris Vivlamore. I will be in Orlando on Tuesday for the U.S. Open Cup. I don't know who else is going uh, I might be the only one. We're not, unfortunately. Yeah, there's Jason being bitter again. Uh, again, Atlanta United defeats the LA Galaxy 3 to nothing, moving to a tie for first place in the East with Philadelphia with 39 points. Could have a three-way tie in the East after Sunday night if D.C. United knocks off Philadelphia. This is Doug Robertson of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution and a Southern Fried Soccer Podcast. I'm Ernie Suggs, race and culture reporter for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. And I'm Ned Ravone, lifestyle columnist. Atlanta has been known as the Black Mecca for so many years, but that means something different to everybody. It means everything to me. I've been living here for 24 years, and I am still amazed at how rich the city's Black culture continues to grow. Every day I wake up, I learn something new. Well, you all can learn something new by subscribing to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution's new newsletter called Unapologetically ATL. It's all about the people, the events, and the entertainment happening in Metro Atlanta that Black people might want to know about. Like historically Black colleges and universities. Atlanta's thriving art scene. And the city's growing neighborhoods. Wherever you live, we want to hear from you. We want to hear what issues are important to you. So subscribe today at www.ajc.com slash unapologeticallyATL. Only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Oh, 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 oh